All righty. Um, so this is Nicole Negron from Developing Museum Web Projects, and I'm here today with... Uh, I'm Marty Spellerberg. All righty. Thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for doing this, Marty. Um, so our first question is, can you tell me about the current position and your company and what you guys do? Yeah. So I'm a independent uh, designer and developer of uh, visual projects, and I work specifically with museums, artists, and cultural organizations. Um, and I'm based in Austin, Texas, and I run an art gallery called Spellerberg Projects in Lockhart, Texas. All right, that's pretty cool. Um, so what brought you to this kind of work? You know, what were your inspirations? What education and or training did you take in order to get to where you are today? Yeah, so um, I started doing websites as a teenager. Uh, the web was just coming up as I was that age. Um, and I went to art school. Um, I studied video art in college. Um, coming out of college, I started doing um, my first arts website was for a contemporary art gallery. And it started off, I was one of his gallery artists. And I did interactive uh, art that showed in the gallery, but pretty soon I transitioned into just updating the gallery website. You know, it, it just seemed more natural, a natural fit. Mm -hmm. And um, I kept on in that vein. Uh, I ended up working for uh, museums in Toronto, where I'm from. I worked first for the Toronto International Film Festival, and then uh, at the Art Gallery of Ontario, which is the art museum there. And um, when I moved to the States, I was fortunate to be able to continue to do the same kind of work, uh, but just uh, as an independent practitioner. So I really tried to just treat the, treat the work exactly how I treated it when I was in-house. And um, I've now been independent for um, about seven years. And uh, when I take on a project, I try to find collaborators who have a similar uh, background. So people who uh, have worked, have experience working in-house at museums, but are now uh, independent. I bring them in as collaborators on projects. Alrighty. So developer projects is just you and then you use those collaborators when you work on projects. Yeah. Well um Spellerberg Projects is uh the art gallery. The consulting company is called Spellerberg Associates related. Um and and right, my model is that uh I will uh pull in people from my network to put together teams to work on uh, these projects. 
Oh, okay. Alrighty. Um, so, uh, what are some of your, what were or are some of your favorite projects? Oh, um, well, the last, the big one last year was a uh, website redesign for the Andy Warhol Museum. And um, that was, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with how it turned out. It was a really fun project to do and uh, just such amazing material to work with and such amazing people to work with. Um, that one was really nice. One of my um, longstanding clients that I think that I think we're, we're really happy with how the site has um, like aged over the past few years. Um, like the, the design system that we put in place has really, has really uh, continued to look fresh, I think, is the Clifford Still Museum. And that, um, that one began as a website redesign and um, I've done a number of projects with um, my colleagues there since since three years ago, I think I started with them. Cool. Um, so what kind of projects have you done for uh, smaller museums or any kind of museum with uh, little to no budget, if any at all? Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I think of um the the small smaller projects often um have to do with website security really they um they it, it and that's a matter of keeping the website that they have sort of going you know okay. i i think the smallest ones um, sort of fall into that category where they're not ready to do a redesign as much as they might like to. Um, and we just focus on keeping their existing infrastructure working. I think those, those would be um, the smallest ones. I, you know, I think we, we also, I would also put into that category work that I do with um, individual artists. Um, I work a lot with artists and artist collectives and small arts organizations. And um, those are often, you know, they're really working on shoestrings. And, um, and again, it's just, it's keeping the material like up and and if it, if it if it's an artist, I'll often um, work in in trade. So I've managed to uh, start to develop a nice uh, collection um, by trading with people whose work I I really respect and really like. Oh, okay, that's pretty cool. Um, so, what are some of your most and least favorite aspects of working with museums um, on their websites and other web projects? Well, most is most is easy. <laughs> I think um, I think it's really important to uh, uh, love the material and love the intellectual content of uh, whatever you're 
working on. Um, there's it's it's very fulfilling to um, over the course of doing a, a digital project to be able to uh, get into substantive conversations with curators, historians, and archivists who who really know the material and really learn so much, and and to be exposed to all the beautiful work and all the you know, interesting work and all the powerful work, you know, over the course of doing your job. I, I for me that's really important and I think it's it's why I um uh stay in the in this field, you know. Um I just find it so much more fulfilling than I don't know, you know, working with <laughs> soda or something, you know, like or shoes or I don't know. Um so that that part that's and I think I think so many people who work in um, in museums and in our sector are are driven to it in in the same way. It's out of a love of um, a love of the the subject matter. Um, I think you know the harder part. I don't. I think everybody would agree is that we're you know. Uh, were the budgets are always a lot smaller than they would be in in private business, right? Like in mm-hmm. commerce. So I think that's a that's something that everybody in our field struggles with. You know, we have we have all of this these great ideas, all these great initiatives that we'd like to do. Um uh but it's the the budgets just aren't the same as if you were doing sort of traditional uh, advertising or agency work. I think that's probably the hardest part. But you know, we 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 managed to make it work. I think uh, collectively. <laughs> <laughs> um, so based on that, I wonder what you would say is what's one way or one tool that you've used um, to work around. Um, having a smaller budget. Yeah. Um, well, this might be a place that we talk about WordPress. Uh, I think WordPress is a one of the reasons I started using WordPress for um, this kind of work, for museum work, is that I think it's well suited to the conditions in which this work is being done and the, the budgetary conditions. Um, it's, it's pretty, it's common now. I know there, there are still, um, different views about it, but for a long time, there was some skepticism about WordPress and some of the things I would say, but why it was good is that, um, the first thing I would look at is that it's, um, well, it's an open, it's open source and, so there, and there's a large community of, um, well, content managers are are well versed in it. So it's if you tell somebody, okay, the the website is WordPress. Have you used WordPress before? A lot of people can say yes, and so you sort of skip over a lot of the training that might have to happen, 
um, mm-hmm. otherwise. Um, but there are but there are also a lot of developers out there. So you can um, you know find people to work on it. It's not a, a rarefied system where there's only a few experts in the country. There, there, there's a lot of people know how to work on WordPress. And um, related to that, uh, so WordPress is built on a very common technology stack, which is um, uh, Linux, Apache, uh, MySQL, PHP. And I think that's important. The PHP part, I think, is important when you're looking to um, hire developers because for better or worse, PHP developers tend to tend to be a little bit more affordable than developers in some other languages. Um, and I think that's important for a cultural institution to keep in mind when they're um, developing their technology stack is what's the what are the what are the salaries of the people who work in that particular technology? You know, there 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 are some other languages that um, are very popular and systems that are very popular with um, in in like startup culture, and those mm-hmm. startups uh, they just deal in much higher sums, and so the people who work at, have the skills to work at those organizations, um, expect higher salaries. So mm-hmm. I, I think that's an important thing for um, for museums to keep in mind when they're choosing what technology to work with. And it, it's a way that, it, I think it's one of the reasons why WordPress works for um, our sector. All right. So that answers that question. <laughs> Um, but what would you say is the first step of a small museum um, when they're considering uh, an overhaul or even a small redesign of their website? Or the two different first steps if you're considering an overhaul or a small redesign? Yeah. Um, well, I think it's a, I think it's research, and it's research into um, into into your visitors and how your visitors are using. Your website. So, uh, my colleague uh, Sarah Sarah Wombold and I uh, conducted uh, uh, a study. It's called the uh, National Museum Website Visitor Motivation Survey, and in it we uh, we surveyed 24 institutions, mostly in the U.S., but with a couple in Canada and Australia, and we put a widget on uh, every page of every website of, of these 24 institutional websites. And it asked uh, the visitor to answer why it is that they came to the website that day. And these were questions uh, based on uh, the research of a fellow named John Falk. And he was really interested in uh, your intrinsic motivation. So, like, what's what's really driving you as an individual to visit a museum? And his 
his his framework got to questions of like, are you visiting because you're a social person and you're you're trying to create a social experience for your friends or family? Are you visiting because you feel drained and you're looking for inspiration? Or are you visiting because you're a sort of inherently curious person and just wants to wants to learn, you know, just wants to soak up knowledge? And so he he came up with this framework of um, of uh, of motivations, and and they really get to the core of why someone as an individual has chosen to come. And so we adapted this framework into a uh, a tool that was useful for evaluating visits to uh, museum websites, and we learned some um, pretty interesting things, I think, that can really help inform at a very um, foundational level work that you do on your website. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, I think audience research in that way is important because often projects are very much driven by the conversation that's happening around the website and around the museum programming that's happening among museum staff. And as staff, there's this, there's this way of looking at the site and there's a way of looking at the content that's really driven by sort of internal metrics and internal motivations. And I think doing audience research at the outset and really trying to get yourself in the mindset of the visitors to the website like they they view our programs in a very different way than we tend to view them ourselves, and so I think it's doing audience research such as a visitor visitor motivation survey is a really great way to get projects off on the right foot and get them oriented to the needs of the visitor rather than the needs of internal um, the internal perspective mm, makes sense I'd recommend it for. Museums of all size. Makes sense. Um, so, I guess part of this, the answer for this question would be audience research. But, um, so what are your recommendations for um, making small changes to museum website, um, but but having a big impact? Um, so, for example, with a museum and a structure like mine. Um, the changes to the website would have to be incremental. Um, but mm -hmm. um, for this particular project um, and what I'm focusing on, which is education resources, uh, which I know is a big need in the community based on audience research, um, how do I, you know, change this one piece of the website but still have to make a big impact? Mm -hmm. Well, um, I would say, well, I'll give a couple of very general answers and then I'll speak to your specific case. I think the number one thing is to clearly like state first thing on your website, whether you're open that day, right? Like I think that's, that's in my experience, that's the number one use 
of museum websites is people go and they check and they want to know the hours, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and the location. So, and that's a really easy thing, right? Um, and mm -hmm. so you don't want people to have to hunt around for that. Um, another general thing I would say is to make sure to um, show people on your website. Show people at, at uh, participating in the experience that they will have when they visit. Show them the visit. Show them people they can relate to. Um, you know, don't show empty, don't show glamour shots of empty galleries. You know, don't show glamour shots of your building that doesn't have anybody in it. Um, I have done a lot of work with the Santa Cruz Museum of Art and History, which is a very visitor-centric um, organization. And we had a rule that every photo on the homepage had to have a smiling face in it, you know? We were trying to show yeah. people, right? So uh, those are very, you know, just general, I think, that things that would apply in, in the great number of cases, you know? Make it easy for people to get the information they need, the basic information they need, and then, you know, show them something they can relate to. Um, in terms of uh, your specific the project that you're working on now, you, and you may have already done this, uh, rather than give you just uh, the, uh, 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 one recommendation, it would be research. I would, it, you, it sounds like you have identified who it is this section is for. And so I would pull a few of them in and do focus groups with them and ask them, um, what they need from the section, you know, what mm -hmm. what they're not getting from the section as it is now, uh, examples that they that they look to that they think are really strong examples, and I would ask them. They're the experts, you know. They're the, they're the users of it, and the section is really meant to uh, meet their needs. So, um, you know, you could do it. As a, I have, a, I have an example of, of, a, of an area where we use a survey to great effect. We were developing a new membership program, uh, and it was aimed at a set of um, donors who were like in their 40s, like 30s and 40s. So it was like a younger crowd. For, mm -hmm. for members, but you know, they were sort of up and coming professional. And so we had ideas about how we were gonna like design a section for these people, right? But mm -hmm. then we surveyed them and what we got back, we did this via email, you know, we had a list of people we thought would be interested. So we sent them a survey of why they were interested in this program and the answers came back completely different than what we thought they were. We kind of thought it would be about networking or something, but it was about, I remember that they said that, that the top one was that they wanted to hang out with their friends. And the second answer was that they wanted to be in a beautiful cultural organization. Like they wanted to be present among the art. So we ended up communicating it like hang out with your friends in a beautiful cultural organization, you know? Like they told us exactly what why they were interested in the program 
and it was so different from what we went in thinking it was going to be. So, um, so yeah, audience research. So far as dark. <laughs> All right. Um, so what? I don't know if you're looking for a more technical <laughs> response. You know, make sure the site loads fast. But, um, but yeah, do audience research. Uh, no, no. Um, I'm not very technical, so that's a better answer for me. It makes more sense to me. Um, so I thought you kind of answered this question. Well, as any case, you can you know, want to add anything to this. But um, what recommendations um, do you make, if any, to your clients uh, uh, regarding marketing the launch of their uh, new and improved website? Yeah. The one thing about having an uh, an art gallery is that I can see in very real terms what brings people in and what doesn't. Um, so we're talking about um, digital projects, but I think taking an example from um, this in real life experience, when I'm uh, marketing a, a new exhibition or a new public program or a new film screening or anything like that, I've discovered that these these programs, they have like an audience attached to them or they don't. So I'll know if I'm working with a partner or and, and I know they have an audience or I'm working with um, an artist who I know has like a following, um, that translates it's turned out to translate pretty directly into people showing up, you know, like yeah. for projects where um, even if there have been like I had one just recently where the art was so great, you know, but there was just no hook to the to the local community, you know, like and and it was just sparsely attended. And on but on on the flip side, if I'm if I'm working with partners and I know, oh, okay, they've got a constituency. And then I'm working with this, this artist, they've got a constituency. Then I know those constituencies are going to come together and we're going to have like a big party, you know? And I think it's the same with digital projects. I think your audience has to sort of be baked in from the beginning. It's really not like a build it. And I mean, it's completely legitimate. If, if there's something that your institution really wants to do, because it's important to, for the mission or it's important artistically to get certain material online, like it's just the right thing to do, then, you know, do it. And, but don't count on like metrics to support that. You just say, we did this because it's on mission and we may be serving just a small number of people, but that's what we're about. We're about, you know, delivering this content. You know, that's our mission. You know, then go for it. But if okay. if you're if you're trying to do something that where like just don't get into a situation where you're disappointed by the numbers, know that know that there's a constituency for that work like from the from the very beginning, you know, know that there's people out there that that need this material. Um, so, you know, that that that's that's the 
that's the, the advice I, I would give. You know, I think marketing is so much about understanding the market. You know, it's not it's not about um, what you know. How can we talk about this thing that's already complete? You know, how do we? You know, maybe if we just advertise it more. But you know, marketing that's based after the fact, like once the product is already complete, is never going to be as effective as marketing done before you created the project, you know? Like create something that you know, that you've researched and you've identified has a constituency. And then your efforts to get the word out about it are just going to be so much easier because people will be like hungry for the material. So I guess that's my advice. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That makes sense. Um, all right, so social media, what do you see as social media's role in all of this, in the redesign, um, in research, in, in you know, launching or, or announcing um, this is redesign or addition to the website? Yeah, yeah. Um, social media has, when it first came on the scene, I felt confident to be able to speak about social media, you know, it was, I feel like I was uh, not knowledgeable about it, but I think it's really grown into its own area of specialization. And there are some really killer uh, museum social media people out there. So who, who do amazing work and are very good at what they do. So I feel like I'm probably not the most qualified to answer that question. And I would, um, I would leave that to one of the um, most excellent social media specialists that um, exists in our field. And I would um, recommend talking to one of them about it. Um, I know it's, it's, it's incredibly important and that it's, a, it's become an incredibly deep and complex topic on its own. And they're just way better at it than I am. Makes sense. Um, so what other tools, programs, uh, software, hardware um, would you recommend then um, besides, you know, I, I know WordPress uh, for, you know, redesigns and other web projects? Mm -hmm. Um. Well, let's see. I, I think if you need if you need a content management system, so this, I'll go a little bit technical here. I think WordPress is a great option, as we discussed. Um, but you don't always need uh, a content management system. Sometimes you have like uh, a database already, uh, for instance, a collection. And if you're, if you're, if, if that's the case, and, you know, it's not a situation where people are going to be logging in and editing content, um, then there are other frameworks. One that's really um, getting a lot of use lately, or I'm hearing a lot about, is called Laravel. And it's a PHP framework. Um, that is not itself a content management system. And 
is really good for building applications on top of existing databases, probably among okay. other things. There's another piece of software that um, is pretty exciting. Um, it's called Choir, and it's being developed by uh, the, the digital publications team at the Getty. And it will, it's a workflow and a templating system that will, from one set of content, allow you to generate uh, digital and print catalogs from from one set of content. Um, so it it will generate a website, um, a PDF that can be sent to a print-on-demand service, and an EPUB document that can be read on like a Kindle, um, all from one set of content. Now, it's specifically for a certain type of publication, for a digital catalog, um, but it is specifically built to sort of solve the problem of multi-channel publishing. And it's really fun. It's really great. Um, yeah. Yeah, those are some fun things on the that are on the landscape now, I think. Was there, was there anything in specific, specifically you had in mind? Like any type of project you had in mind with uh, that question? No, I don't think particular. I'm just curious as to what's you know, floating out there that um, I'm not aware of. You know, one, I'll say one thing about, because uh, this comes up sometimes, um, and it comes up in the context of like, um, choir. It's a technical consideration for um, different digital projects have different sort of needs and lifespans. So, like, your main museum website is it's kind of like a newspaper. It's like new every day, right? Like, you're constantly updating it. Yesterday's, yesterday's version of the website doesn't matter. All that matters is today's version, right, to the user, to the visitor, you know. Um, mm -hmm. There's another type of project which is like, like maybe an exhibition microsite or a digital publication or uh, it's content that is meant to live online for like a long time. Like you're going to make this thing and you want it to just, you just want it to stay on the, on the web for 10 years, 15 years, you know? And when you, if you're not careful when you're building those things, they like build up this sort of technical overhead that your staff have to like constantly like be maintaining these old projects. Mm -hmm. And that's a tough situation because the project was like, or can be a tough situation, the project was like, really like essential the year that it was built it made a big splash but five years later there's no constituency for you know you're like oh we need to raise some money to to like update this website you know it's got a security hole or something you know um and and that's tough and so one of the solutions to that is to build those in such a way that 
even if you use a content management system to create that website or that asset to uh, generate from it a static website that is not database driven, that's not script driven, that's just you know HTML and CSS files that can sit on a server because those can live on for a long time and not need you know security patches or regular maintenance. Um, and that's um, speaking of the choir project. That's that's one of the principles behind that project is that the um, the website that it creates is not a database-driven website. It's just a collection of HTML and CSS files and JavaScript files mm. that that can live on the website, you know, as an archive. Um, but there there are um, there are ways to do that from um, from other content management systems, but it, it is something to keep in mind when you're um, you're beginning a new project. Is like, what is the lifespan of this project, and what is it going to take to create something that can be maintained um, into the future? Alrighty, alrighty. So, um, in your experience, what are some of the mistakes? that museums have made with regards to usability and uh, functionality? Um, yeah. Uh, I think there, it, it gets back to what we were talking about earlier. There's this um, push to see things from the museum internal perspective and to put the needs of the museum ahead of the needs of the user. And um, uh, I think one example of this is that internally in museums we're, we're very conscious always of um, financial considerations and sometimes we let those sort of influence the choices that we make in terms of the user experience of the website. Um, and I'm, I'm speaking specifically about um, pushes to uh, urge people to become members um, or to give donations, give to a capital campaign that kind of thing. And um, of course, that's an essential, we must, we have, we, you know, we don't survive if we, if we don't raise our funds, you know. Um, but I think it's, it's very important to make sure that we're doing that be, because I think it's most effective when we're doing that from the user's perspective, you know, that we're not, um, uh, that we're not orienting the site towards things that are not relevant to the uh, user, that when we present our fundraising appeals uh, and our, you know, and our prompts to, to become a member, that we're doing so in a way that's relevant to the user and puts the user's needs first 
because ultimately they're the ones who are going to make the choice to, um, you know, do so. Um, I joke, I've joked with my colleagues that, uh, you know, making the the buy now button shinier and bigger isn't actually going to make someone click on it, you know, or if they do click on it, it's not going to make them like get out there, open up their wallet, you know? So it's really about being more thoughtful. Just being, just being thoughtful about where we, how, how we present these, these messages that are essential to us, but how, how do we do that in a way that's, that's relevant to the website visitor, you know? And as I say, the larger, it's part of a larger, um, a larger um, environment of, of making sure that we're, we're not, we're seeing the website from the perspective of our visitor, not from our own perspective. You know, we live our perspective every day. It's very, it's very hard to sort of put yourself in someone else's shoes, but I think it's really necessary um, because that's who we're creating the website for. You know, we're not we're not creating it for us. We're creating it for our visitors. They're the ones who are going to use it. So, yeah. Alrighty. Um, so, what do you think is next um, in terms of museums and the web? Like, what do you see as you know? I we spoke about choir. Um, what what do you see as you know kind of making its way to um, being popular, um, or or what do you see as some some capabilities yeah. that are well, coming up in the future? Well, I think um, I'm I'm lately responding to a couple of trends that I think we see. Generally, um, one is that I think we're coming as a society coming to a new understanding of our relationship to technology and to the web and to tracking on the web and to targeting messages on the web. You know, I, I think this is this is we're seeing it in all areas of society, of our society, and um, I'm watching to see if public views are changing around this, these topics. For, Mm -hmm. For instance, I wonder if there's going to, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe the general public, maybe they're okay with this, but maybe I wonder if we're going to start to see more and more of a backlash against um, against tracking, and um, I wonder if part of our public service that we do, as as if we're talking about public institutions, I wonder if one of the ways we can serve our public is to um, opt out of tracking them. Is there going to become a push for spaces that are untracked spaces where, you know, um, where we just, we just choose not to participate in those networks, you know? Um, I don't know if that's, 
actually going to play out. Um, but if, if, it, if it does, that's one way I think that we can serve our mission. It, it could be a, a, new, a new interpretation of our mission in terms of serving the public good is to uh, provide um, untracked spaces online. Um, but, you know, these, those are big societal forces. Another one that I'm, I'm, I'm watching is the, um, we have now a, the current generation. When, when I was growing up, when I was a kid, we didn't have the internet, right? But there's a whole generation now of adults who haven't known the world without the internet, right? And grew up with it. And uh, I think there's big questions around um, the relationship. I think always before in our field, we are premised on, well, we're, we're a physical space. We have this, this building and we have this, this collection. Um, and then, you know, okay, do we need to put it online, right? And I wonder if there's a new relationship um, developing where it's sort of online first, where people say, okay, we have this online thing, right? Like this brand or this like presence online. We have this project and it's an online project. How do we, do we now need a physical space? You know, does that, is there a role for, what's the role for physical space in relation to our online project? And, and you see this in commerce. There are online stores that are, you know, that, that are now opening up shops. You know, they started online and now they have shops. But their, their, core, their core is still online, right? Like the, the shop supports. So I wonder if that sort of inversion is starting to take, will take, will take place in our field as well where projects are online first and online at the center and then um, make the choice to, be, to have physical outposts. But again, we'll see that too. Um, those, are, those are some of the big things I would watch in terms of the relationship between museums and digital. All righty. Well... That is everything. Um, I want to thank you again for uh, letting me interview you, pick your brain a bit um, on the topic. Um, it's always nice to talk to people that are fresh, and, you know, well, not fresh, but they're doing things currently. Um, yeah, you know, reading articles is great, but when you can talk to someone who's actually doing the work, um, it's helpful to kind of get your head wrapped around all the aspects of uh, a web project because it can be daunting uh, for someone just starting off. Um, so I just want to thank you for taking the time. Um, and do you have any questions for me? Um, or anything you'd like to add? No, I, I think it's a great series that you guys are doing. And um, well, thank you for inviting me to be a part of it. All right.